Good evening and uh, welcome to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD 91.1 FM. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you perhaps who've never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month uh, from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists uh, with a degree in herbal medicine, and we consult and see a wide range of clients with a wide range of different conditions, and we also have a um, certified organic medicinal herb farm that produces the herbs for the tinctures and extracts that we also manufacture. Well, this month, uh, again, we are pleased to have uh, Dr. Ray Pete on the show. And uh, for those of you perhaps who've never heard of Dr. Pete, as I'm sure very often people tune into the show having perhaps never heard it, um, he will explain who he is and his background. Welcome, Dr. Pete, to this month's show. Hello, Dr. Pete? Yes, hello. Hi, welcome to um, December's Ask Your Herb Doctor show. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Now, I don't want to presume that everyone who has just tuned in to tonight's show knows your background, Dr. Pete. Uh, so I would appreciate it if you would give our listeners an overview of your professional and research-based work before we open up tonight's topics. Okay. I did my Ph.D. research in the aging of the oxidative respiratory systems and how that's affected the, mostly by the reproductive hormones and uh, how, how it causes, for example, the middle-aged infertility in people and animals. Uh, what I uh, found that was contrary to the textbooks at the time was that estrogen became the dominant hormone at middle age, uh, causing distortion of the oxidative metabolic processes, and uh, that then got me interested in the factors that contribute to that age-related imbalance. And um, age pigment was one of the things I studied in connection with that change. Um, the age pigment itself is stimulated by an excess of estrogen. And um, it's formed mostly from polyunsaturated oils. And uh, it oxidizes um, fuel and consumes oxygen uh, without producing anything useful except some free radicals. Uh, the the um, way to uh, prevent that or delay it, I later found, was to protect the thyroid hormone function. And so... In the years since then, I've worked on ways to use the diet to um, decrease the formation of age pigment to retard the um, increase in estrogen in the tissues and to maintain an optimal uh, thyroid function. Okay, good. Because um, I know that you're very uh, keen to emphasize the nutritional side of uh, a person's uh, lifestyle ra- rather than simply uh, prescribing drugs or herbal supplements even. Um, so that's, um, I know many of the people that have uh, been listening to you uh, in the past or know about you, uh, you have a pretty extensive website with plenty of articles uh, on the website and we'll be handing out that website address a bit later on. Um, so in relation to uh, a diet, I know that the uh, topic of high 
uh, cholesterol is a, a fairly uh, touchy subject given that uh, most of the statin, well not most of them, but some of the statin drugs for sure, uh, have been implicated in causing a reasonably severe side effects. Um, what's your opinion, uh, Dr. P, about the uh, cause of high cholesterol uh, and how high a cholesterol do you consider high and uh, how would you approach its treatment? There was a study a few years ago of women in uh, health uh, or rest home or convalescent hospital situations, and they followed them uh, from uh, the time they entered until they died and uh, watched how the um, level of cholesterol corresponded to their longevity and uh, ability to function. And the um, optimal uh, cholesterol level for that purpose, uh, living a long time and keeping their uh, mentality sound, was 270 uh, milligrams per cent. Wow. Wow, and the, they, the current laboratories and doctors recommend that it should be under 200. Well, there was a Framingham uh, study, uh, I think it was about 20 years ago, which looked at the cholesterol level of people as they passed the age of 50 in ordinary life situations. And they saw that those who did not have above a 200 milligram cholesterol level were more likely to become demented. Right. And uh, there, it's been known for 80 or 90 years that cholesterol is an antitoxin, anti-inflammatory, uh, our basic protective substance. Uh, it, it's like a, a protective hormone in itself. Um, if it's increased the uh, in experiments with animals, the learning ability and uh, maze running ability of the animal improves just for increasing the amount of cholesterol. And cell division involves uh, cholesterol right in the uh, the apparatus that allows the cell to divide normally. Um, the, it stabilizes red blood cells. Uh, uh, every level of uh, physiology is protected by adequate cholesterol. Well, isn't it also true that every one of our cells has a cholesterol membrane? Uh, no. <laughs> or is that another myth? No, the, yeah, the... Um, the cholesterol is everywhere in the cell. It's stuck to the chromosomes, the um, structural, architectural, uh, microtubules, and microfilaments all through the cell. Uh, it, it isn't just a membrane-associated thing unless you say that the, the cell is a, a, like a sponge of membranes all the way through, so it isn't just at the surface. But it is true that every one of our cells has yeah. cholesterol or utilizes cholesterol. Yeah, the, even the, the genetic apparatus is um, cholesterol is an essential component of every living process. Uh, the ability of cells to move uh, requires cholesterol. So, so why do you think perhaps that uh, modern mainstream medicine considers a figure of over 200 uh, to be associated with a higher incidence of uh, cerebrovascular. It's, I think it's uh, similar to why the 
optimal level of blood pressure has been revised downwards. They can uh, treat more patients and sell more drugs mm-hmm. if more more of the population is defined as sick. Yeah. Uh, 30 or 40 years ago, there was a study uh, looking at people's blood pressure with aging and uh, those whose pressure kept rising with the years lived the longest and a decrease of blood pressure uh, indicated the uh, nearness of death. So as long as the blood pressure is on a steady rise, that, that was a good indicator. Hmm. What values do you consider healthy and normal for blood pressure? Um, well, the, um, the lower number is uh, really partly an indicator of, of the elasticity of the system. It's how much pressure is there when the heart isn't beating. And so if the system is elastic, the lower number tends to be up around, oh, approaching 80 usually is a good number. And the upper number should be less than 50 points higher than that. So uh, 120 over 80 with a 40-point difference is very good. Um, a, a good uh, plumbing engineer knows that keeping the pressure steady without great rises and falls makes the water circulate more smoothly. It's the same in the bloodstream. You don't want the lower number to drop too low, uh, otherwise the blood stops moving. Okay, well, getting uh, back to cholesterol, um, given that uh, you would consider a value of two, 270 to be acceptable, is this uh, more for elderly people or would this apply to younger people? Um, that's for old people the same as the blood pressure thing. Right. Um, the cholesterol rises as there is a problem to, to be soothed uh, and uh, when the tissues are less efficient, they need more blood supply. So the, the blood pressure and the cholesterol tend to rise with aging as the tissues need uh, more more care and attention. So do you consider this to be a dangerous um, treatment that doctors might be prescribing statins to older people when their bodies need a higher cholesterol to yeah, protect there, them? There have been several studies that... Um, they always rouse a great reaction, but back in the mid-80s in Hungary, there was a big study in which they saw that using a drug to lower cholesterol increased the death rate from just about every cause. Uh, cancer, suicide, even getting murdered was more probable when a person had their cholesterol artificially lowered. But would you perhaps cover some of those things that cholesterol is protective then and what it would uh, um, be responsible for helping us? Um, it, it is the uh, main uh, defensive substance, but it in turn is converted into other protective substances, the first of which are pregnenolone and progesterone and also DHEA, another basic protective steroid. Um, it should be massively converted into those um, more specific protective substances, 
but it can only be converted when the thyroid is adequate. Okay, explain that. Well, in an experiment, they have put the bloodstream flowing into an organ like an ovary or an adrenal gland, and if the blood contains vitamin A and thyroid, the amount of progesterone being produced by the gland varies directly with the amount of cholesterol going into the gland. So it's a massive uh, quantitative conversion. Okay. So if you have a low blood pre- uh, low blood cholesterol, then you're going to have a low production of progesterone coming from that ovary. Yes, that, that's why it's dangerous to have it artificially lowered uh, right. because it's the raw material for making all of the very specific uh, protective so th- this is why the uh, dementia is a posited uh, uh, a reason why dementia would be higher in low cholesterol um, clients because these protective hormones are not being manufactured in sufficient amounts to prevent that uh, degradation. Yeah, there are several lines of reasoning that show that um, uh, progesterone, for example, is extremely protective to the brain. It uh, promotes healing and regeneration. Uh, after the brain has been injured. And uh, uh, it's now being uh, tested in people who have had car accidents and major brain damage, for example. And uh, it makes just a tremendous difference in survival rate and recovery rate. Um, And if your cholesterol is artificially lowered, your brain is going to be deficient in progesterone. And the brain and the ovary, like we've been talking about, that they're very important, or that cholesterol is very important for those organs, that's just two out of a lot of organs in our body and a lot of processes that require progesterone. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Every, every tissue has its response to progesterone. All nerves uh, are stabilized by progesterone. Uh, the skin and uh, connective tissue, joints, uh, it, um, for example, in the animal experiments as well in, as in people that I've seen, they can create uh, emphysema artificially in an animal and cure it with progesterone. And I've seen it happen in a week with a person uh, just supplementing progesterone and they can breathe uh, very nicely. Um, excuse me, Dr. Pete, can you please um, hold the phone a little closer to your mouth? Because we've just had some callers call in and say that they're having a difficulty hearing you. We can hear you fine here in the studio, but um, perhaps on live on, uh, on the air, it's a little bit harder to hear you. Okay, so basically you're saying that this progesterone is very, very important for anti-aging and for keeping even normal cellular processes going. And if we don't have enough cholesterol in our bloodstream, that's coming from our diet or that we're synthesizing, then we will probably have a low level of these protective hormones, progesterone being one of them? Um, yeah, and the thyroid has to be uh, present, too, for that conversion to take place. Um, as early as 1993, it was found that uh, doing the cholesterol treatment of rabbits, which caused uh, circulatory disease, they found that if they gave the same amount of cholesterol to the rabbits and also some thyroid hormone, it didn't hurt their circulatory system. Mm. And um, the 
the experimental cholesterol treatments have turned out to be um, uh, using a toxic form of oxidized cholesterol. And uh, if you just leave cholesterol uh, sitting in a bottle too long before doing the experiment, <clears throat> it's likely to become oxidized. And um, some of the cooking practices that are recommended create the toxic oxidized form of cholesterol. For example, um, people often recommend that you steam salmon or fish to um, cook it at a lower temperature than frying it or grilling it, but it actually increases the toxic oxidized cholesterol so that steamed salmon has more toxic cholesterol than a grilled beef steak. Hmm. It's the uh, slow oxygen exposure to unsaturated fat which uh, creates the toxic effect and the early experiments in Russia in 1912 uh, treated the rabbits with cholesterol dissolved in vegetable oil and it turns out that vegetable oil is the actual culprit right. in heart disease. So when they slice open someone's uh, arteries around their heart and they see, oh, there's all this cholesterol that's blocking the arteries. The cholesterol is there primarily to protect the cells against the free radicals produced by the uh, polyunsaturated fats. Okay, and polyunsaturated fats for our listeners out there tonight are um, from vegetable oils, including soy oil, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil. Fish oil. Fish oil. All the canola oil, which in England is called rapeseed oil. Cottonseed. And these are primarily the predominant oils used in the food chain now. So are you saying that those oils are so damaging and so toxic to the lining of our arteries that it causes this um, toxic reaction breakdown in, inside our arteries and then our body tries to patch up with pieces of cholesterol? I, yes, that was pretty well worked out in the 1940s. Uh, lab animals were dying of various symptoms, including infertility and softening of the brain. And it was found that it was because they were adding these unsaturated vegetable oils to their feed. And uh, that turned out that it was um, blocking their thyroid function and uh, preventing them from using the protective cholesterol. Uh, that series of experiments and observations uh, had its ramifications through the 1940s and 50s, but agriculture took advantage of the anti-thyroid effect of these vegetable oils to use them to fatten animals economically. So instead of pigs being fed the compost, they were then fed corn and soy, and their fat then represented a large amount of these vegetable oils. Yeah. Um, it was common to use uh, waste food like uh, uh, spoiling apples and vegetables and, and uh, whey from the cheese factories and so on. But when they learned that they could fatten the pigs on much less food if it contained these unsaturated oils, uh, 
that became the basic industrial animal food. Wow, well, it do, it makes sense to me because these vegetable oils are, you know, if it wasn't the Industrial Revolution, we wouldn't be able to make a product out of the oils so efficiently. And, you know, because it's not something we've naturally been eating for hundreds of years, thousands of years, at, in a, such a concentrated form, such as corn oil, it does make sense that this could be something that could yeah. be bad for you. Yeah, in Mark Twain's time, he told when he was driving the riverboat on the Mississippi, he told about hearing um, merchants talking about the how cheap the cottonseed oil was from the, the cotton industry and that, that they were going to teach Americans to eat that instead of butter. Wow. And that was already in the mm-hmm. 1880s, I guess it was. Wow. I know there's another another subject, uh, and I, I do believe it's linked uh, to thyroid, and perhaps you can bring that out for us. Um, but diabetes seems to have been a uh, disease that certainly uh, exploded in terms of the numbers of people that are diagnosed with diabetes. Uh, and I know you also uh, brought out last month, or the month before in October, a, uh, a relatively close to home story about your own father uh, who uh, ultimately didn't need uh, to use any medication for his diabetes. But um, could you mention a little bit about uh, diabetes and um, you know, what can be uh, done to treat that or why? Number, I guess number one, why is it such a exploded uh, yeah, diagnosis and uh, the, the roots of treatment for it? Well, the, the diet of Americans and Europeans has uh, changed over these years in which diabetes has been increasing with the greatly increased consumption of polyunsaturated uh, vegetable oils. Uh, Even eggs now, they feed chickens so much corn and soy that even eggs have less cholesterol and more polyunsaturated fat. And in 1963 or 64, uh, a researcher named P.J. Randall observed that he could block the oxidation of glucose just by feeding an increased amount of, of the fatty acids, and that's now called the Randall cycle. And that, when um, it became popular to feed hospitalized patients intravenously with a fat emulsion to uh, try to keep them from losing weight, they very quickly discovered that it suppressed their immune system and uh, caused a, a variety of other symptoms, but it, it almost immediately would cause an elevation of blood glucose and that was exactly what P.J. Randall had noticed in his animal studies. So it, the diabetes was basically explained biochemically in the 1960s when if you feed more fat, you block the response to insulin, create insulin insensitivity or resistance. And uh, that's now uh, called type 2 diabetes or um syndrome X. And is this with all, any kind of fat, in, an increased fatty diet, or is it uh, just the vegetable fats? Uh, well, no. When when you feed people or animals 
a very high sugar diet, you can feed them so much that they you greatly increase our our own synthesis. But these fats are saturated or monounsaturated fats, and even if you feed so much that you uh, cause a great increase in triglycerides, circulating fat, and uh, even cause increased deposition of fat in the liver, for example, it's lowering the toxic effects of free radicals, protecting the tissues, and it actually helps to lower the blood glucose. It has an anti-diabetic effect to feed a high sugar diet. Uh, contrasting that with starch, the uh, complex uh, carbohydrate that dietitians have been recommending now for 30 years, the starches have the opposite effect. Uh, they increase your uh, insulin resistance very quickly, just as if you were eating fat, because uh, the starches don't support our own production of saturated fat. So you're saying that it's only the vegetable oils that actually lead to an increased blood glucose and the saturated fats, a saturated fats actually help protect against the increased blood glucose. Yes, with the qualification that eggs and pork and chickens are now fed so much vegetable oil that their fats uh, are toxic too. So it would only be the more saturated fats like from coconut oil or from butter. Um, butter. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. So not only um, are vegetable oils contributing to a damage to our arteries and then our body plaques it over with cholesterol, so they're actually the cause for cholesterol, um, supposedly cholesterol-linked heart attacks, but also they're responsible for elevating blood glucose levels unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I, I think there's a, uh, um, a mention about the... Uh, about estrogen in particular um, being also a cofactor in um, worsening this situation. Uh, what was the cofactor? Uh, estrogen or increased oh, increased oh, estrogen. Yeah, estrogen um, causes increased uh, deposition of, of fat in the liver and increased circulating triglycerides, but it uh, it interacts closely with the unsaturated. Uh, fatty acids so that women typically have more of the polyunsaturated free fatty acids circulating than men do. Um, it's just a peculiarity of estrogen that hmm. it creates this bias that uh, makes the polyunsaturated even more toxic than they would be. Right. Now, what would you say would be some of the best... Uh uh, solutions to uh, estrogen, I guess, first, as we're just uh, just talking about it now. But for ladies, um, perhaps that are listening, that have either a history of uh, estrogen uh, type or estrogen dependent type uh, situations, or just um, estrogen, high estrogen uh, in their menstruating life, uh, how would they uh, how would they ease that situation with, with uh, natural or uh, nutritional support? Um. The, um, about 70 years ago, there were studies in animals that showed how to do that. Uh, when um, people were in prison camps in the, in the Second World War, they were 
a lot of them on the edge of starvation. And uh, when they got out and were able to eat, it was found that many of the men uh, developed breasts. And the animal experiments showed that uh, a deficiency of protein causes the liver to be unable to remove estrogen mm-hmm. and uh, also to inactivate or to, to activate uh, the thyroid hormone so that um, just eating more protein can sometimes uh, activate metabolism and uh, cause the ratio to go towards progesterone and to eliminate estrogen. But but women must be careful to avoid these animals that have the this polyunsaturated fatty acid in their in the fat. Yes, so you wouldn't want to eat uh, mainly pork and poultry and fish because uh, those are anti-thyroid. The number of unsaturations in the fatty acid, uh, which is highest in fish oils, for example, that number corresponds with its ability to suppress the thyroid hormone function. And so uh, cutting out those oils from the diet as far as possible, it isn't possible to eliminate them entirely, but uh, eating as as little as possible allows the thyroid to uh, work more efficiently. And having around 80 to 100 grams of protein a day uh, as a minimum, hmm. more doesn't hurt uh, 120, 150 even is, is very good for an active person. Um, but also uh, reducing the starches, which um, uh, suppress our own ability to make the saturated fats, uh, replacing the starches with fruit sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in uh, animal experiments, uh, they have uh, found that just adding Coca-Cola to an animal's diet uh, will make it uh, lean, uh, able to eat much more food without gaining weight just because of the sugar in it. Were they replacing the, the starches in the animal's diet with yes. the Coca-Cola? Yes. Right, so then it was more of a sugar, like a, like a natural fruit, yeah. but in the form of sucrose from yeah. the... Orange juice is the ideal way to get your uh, sucrose, but you can increase your metabolic rate from the animal experiments. It would suggest you can increase it 50%, so you'd go from getting fat on 1,500 calories a day to getting lean on over 2,000 calories a day. Just by cutting out all your starches, increasing your protein, and replacing the starches with lots of fruit. Mm-hmm. And what, what about, you know, when I've had people tell me, oh, well, I can't eat that much protein because I get kidney stones. Um, well, uh, the eating enough calcium, interestingly, is the best protection against that. And the sugar in fruit juice... Um, will act very much like vitamin D. In vitamin D deficient diets, they found that if the animals ate starch, they became deficient in calcium. But if they ate sugar, they acted as if they were able to assimilate and retain the calcium just as well as uh, getting some vitamin D. Um, So the... um, 
it is important to get vitamin D, but the sugar alone makes a tremendous difference in how you handle your calcium. And when you eat enough calcium, you suppress the inflammatory agents, including the parathyroid hormone, so that the calcium goes into your bones and stays there. Rather than forming stones in your kidneys. And doesn't go into your arteries and kidneys to, so, to poison them. So then that would be a high-calcium diet in conjunction with the high-protein diet and a high-fruit diet is what yeah. basically you're suggesting. Yeah, that's why as a quick therapy diet, I recommend a person having at least two quarts of milk and two quarts of orange juice every day. Because this will stimulate... Uh, get, get the thyroid going and suppress inflammation and uh, help the liver uh, regulate things. And would you recommend, when you recommend this to people, do you recommend that they have this in place of breakfast and lunch or as well as their normal three-day meal? I mean, three, well, three meals a day. It, as it starts working, it will increase their caloric needs so that if they've been uh, staying, maintaining their weight on a 1,000 or 1,500 calories, as the milk and orange juice start to activate their um, thyroid hormone and, and lower the estrogen and cortisol, they will gradually be able to increase their caloric intake up to at least 2,000 calories a day. Wow, that's quite, inc- quite incredible. really is quite incredible. Um, so you're listening, yeah. We better let people know what's going on, I think, because we've been so involved with talking to Dr. Pete and listening to his advice that I've forgotten to mention. Uh, you're listening to KMUD 91.1 FM, and this show is Ask Your Herb Doctor. Uh, joining us this month is Dr. Ray Pete, and uh, we're very pleased to have him on the program, and he's uh, very steeped in nutritional, uh, certainly a nutritional approach to illness, and he has uh, many remarkable um tenets uh, for his treatment and also uh, some of those things that perhaps would be counterculture, especially the uh, saturated fat versus polyunsaturated fat debate that's uh, raging away now. Um, so it's 7.37 now, so until the uh, end of the program at 8 o'clock, uh, we usually open up the lines and uh, people are invited to call in with any questions they may have uh, related to this month's topic surrounding a high cholesterol, high blood pressure and diabetes. So if you live outside the area, uh, the number is one uh, 800 Five six eight three seven two three, or if you're in the area, uh, the regular number is nine two three three nine one one. We haven't said much about high blood pressure, but uh, yeah, please do. The the same diet, uh, increasing your thyroid function, uh, regulates the mineral balance such that it lowers your adrenaline, lowers the sympathetic nervous system activity, and. Uh, uh, allows the minerals to be balanced with water so that increased thyroid function lowers blood pressure, although many doctors have been yeah. misled. Uh-huh. You'd, you'd think it would be the opposite, but it's not. Yeah. I know. I have an article here um, from the Clinical Journal of Endocrinolo- Endocrinology and Metabolism from May 2002, and it was showing that the role of thyroid hormone in blood pressure, um, in keeping blood pressure uh, stable, 
and also showed that there's evidence from short-term hypothyroidism in humans where people will have elevated blood pressure. We'll get back to that in a moment. We have a caller on the line. Dr. Ray Peaked, is that your name? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you spell that, please? P-E-A-T. P-E-A-T? P-E-A-T. T-T-A-T? Okay. Um, I heard earlier, I heard you talking about protective, no, productive cholesterol is important for connective tissue. Did you say something like that? Yes. All right. Uh, now I was uh, I was born with a with a disease, uh, a rare disease, where I don't have any connective tissue over my whole body. Have you heard of such a thing? Um, is your tissue very elastic? No, no, I don't. I don't have the elasticity. Uh, like uh, you know, scleroderma, is it? Like it, and and it's like I, I blister, I break open all the time. Like there's um. There's no real treatment for it yet. It's oh. Like when they open up the stem cell research, maybe then they might find a cure for it. Have you tried uh, increased amounts of vitamin E? Yeah, I did when I was younger, and uh, that that that, uh, that made me very horny, <laughs> very horny, and I couldn't control it hardly. It was a girl had a girlfriend, but yeah, but it was shocking to her too. Um. Working on your hormones so that you can use enough of the antioxidants, sometimes that corrects that blister susceptible disease. Could I, could I, could I achieve that, um, that goal with a hyperbaric chamber? No. 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 Uh, going to a higher altitude, in fact, where you get uh, a lower oxygen pressure is more, more likely to help. Ah, okay. Well, um, the name is, uh, I guess, uh, you know, can I have your address? Do you have an address that I can write to you further about this? Do you have Internet access? Yes. Oh. I don't, but, uh, but I could use the computer, the library, or... Okay, well, let me give you um, his, his website, and you can um, contact Dr. Pete through his website. Okay. And also you can read a, a lot of... Um, he has a lot of his free newsletters online there that you can read for yourself. Good. Okay, so it's um, www.raypeat, R-A-Y, yeah. Pete, P-E-A-T. P-E-A-T. Dot com. Dot com, okay. So it's www.raypeat.com, and then you can um, go ahead and contact him directly through there. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for your call. Okay, I don't know if there are any other callers on the line. No. Okay, so. So, Dr. Pete, it's long been known that people with um, high functioning of thyroid or hyperthyroidism, that they can suffer from high blood pressure. But there's also research that shows that people with low blood pressure can also be, I'm sorry, people with low thyroid function can also be suffering with high blood pressure. Um, In general, uh, the research shows that increasing thyroid function lowers blood pressure, and I think what has happened um, over the last 30 years or 40 years, I've seen two or three people who actually had hyperthyroidism without a doubt, but I've seen dozens who were told by their doctors that they were hyperthyroid, but 
as as I encouraged them to uh, talk to their doctors about how the diagnosis was made, many of them said, but the doctor says I'm at the same time hypothyroid and hyperthyroid. Uh, doctors have been so confused that they say you can be both hyper and hypo at the same time. Mm. And uh, most of these people that I have seen who had a diagnosis of hyperthyroidism were actually uh, classical hypothyroid cases, just that doctors don't read the old textbooks anymore. Uh, for example, one thing that happens very often in hypothyroidism is that the activity of the sympathetic nervous system and adrenaline production increase to uh, compensate for the lack of thyroid actual energy production. And um, I've seen people with 40 times the daily output of adrenaline uh, times the normal amount who were hypothyroid. So because their body's so low thyroid and their metabolism is so slow, their body's trying to compensate by stimulating adrenaline production. And, of course, what does adrenaline do but raise blood pressure? Yeah, and um, I've seen people who had as fast a pulse as 180 beats per minute at rest wow. year after year who uh, that was taken as one of the uh, diagnostic features for hyperthyroidism. But when they took thyroid within a week, for the first time in years, they had a normal pulse rate of 80 or 90 because then, by lowering the adrenaline. Because then it was supplying the thyroid hormone that they were lacking in the first place. Mm -hmm. So this is what I wanted our listeners to be aware of, is that a lot of times modern medicine just treats the disease. It doesn't treat the cause of the disease. So high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and diabetes are so common in America today and in the world today. And the, if you look deeper, the cause of this could be thyroid disease, which is easily treated. And there's dietary recommendations that Dr. Pete um, has described some of tonight that can help your thyroid health. And um, the medication is also fairly innocuous, innocuous and um, safe to take. So can you tell us anything more about the interaction between the high, high blood pressure and the thyroid, Dr. Pete? Um, yeah, um, the um, toxemia of pregnancy or preeclampsia is one of the things that got me interested in how blood pressure is regulated by thyroid. It's very common, uh, starting in the 1950s when the drug companies came out with their chemical diuretics, uh, they told women that if they take their diuretics and restrict salt, intake during pregnancy that they'll prevent the high blood pressure of toxemia. And what it, what they were doing was starving the developing baby of, of a, an adequate blood supply by reducing the blood volume. And they created uh, millions of uh, uh, stressed, damaged pregnancies uh, by restricting the salt intake. And um, the, the adrenaline rises when you restrict the salt intake, uh, just as as it does when you restrict the uh, thyroid function. And so I noticed that uh, premenstrual syndrome had many features in common with toxemia of pregnancy, and uh, women were told to restrict their salt intake premenstrually, 
and uh, because some researchers found that they could cure toxemia and bring the blood pressure down to normal by giving the women adequate amounts of salt and protein, uh, I suggested that for uh, premenstrual syndrome, women who get uh, swollen feet and so on, try eating as much sodium as they crave, and sometimes that's a, a very large amount, uh, maybe 15 grams a day uh, premenstrually is what they crave naturally, and they found that it prevented their swelling feet and other symptoms. So after seeing that work, not only in the pregnancy research, but in many uh, women with premenstrual symptoms, I saw that uh, old people very often had a similar syndrome, and when they would go on a salt-restricted diet, they would develop insomnia very frequently, suggesting that their adrenaline had gone up. So I suggested to some friends who were in their 80s that they start eating as much salt as they felt like, and not only did they sleep better, but their blood pressure came down. It <laughs> completely counter what, to what you'd normally hear. Right? Well, salt at one time was highly treasured and was used as a monetary trading. So, I mean, it's just a very modern way of thinking that, yeah. that um, salt is bad for you, really. It's very, very modern. We've been dependent upon salt for forever. Um, a man named uh, David McCarran 30 years ago, I noticed that the government figures that were used to support the low-salt diet treatment for um, high blood pressure, he noticed that uh, in the actual figures, the people who ate the most salt had the lowest blood pressure, and those who ate the least salt had the <laughs> highest blood pressure. And he saw that what they had been neglecting was the calcium intake that uh, often went uh, the other direction of the sodium. Uh, right. When people didn't eat milk and cheese, they would often eat salty snack foods. But um, it, he showed that it wasn't the sodium excess that was causing high blood pressure. It was the calcium deficiency. So perhaps these people that have been on a low-salt diet, they need to increase their salt and increase their calcium foods. Yeah, and obesity is another thing that is often associated with high blood pressure, but uh, the same thing applies to obesity. Um, the people, I noticed it when I was traveling in the Slavic countries, uh, there was very little milk available, and lots of the people were very fat. And as soon as I went across the border from uh, Russia into Finland, I saw the stores were full of milk and cheese, and everyone was slender and healthy. And uh, that was how I looked up David McCarran's work with, with calcium. Uh, and uh, it turns out that salt and calcium both, uh, as you increase them, your metabolic rate increases your ability to oxidize sugar, uh, and the anti-diabetic effect is increased with increasing sodium and calcium, and obesity is decreased because you're burning your sugar. Rather than converting it into fat and storing it. Yeah. With with chickens, they um, did that. They gave them slightly salty water uh, 
almost like seawater, and uh, all of the signs of aging as well as obesity were decreased just by uh, having having to drink a little salt water. So they quickly took the salt water away because they want the chickens to be nice and obese so they can make more money. Yeah, those were... Those were just lab chickens. Okay. <laughs> so they they couldn't sell that to the chicken industry to say, here, the salt is going to cure, um, fix your financial problems. Yeah, no one cares if chickens live to be healthy old <laughs> right. chickens. It's, it's a little bit off the subject, perhaps, but um, about diuretics, I guess I'm thinking of sodium and salt and diuretics and, and uh, the kind of... Uh, the osmolar concentration of the blood and how diuretics can work to uh, excrete more water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you have any uh, safe safe methods for increasing diuresis? In a, uh, uh, yeah, um, the calcium it, it helps, and uh, it by optimizing sugar uh, metabolism, it energizes the kidneys so that they work better. Okay, but. Uh, baking soda and sodium chloride both have a diuretic effect. <laughs> right. And uh, the only chemical uh, diuretic that I would recommend in any situation happens to be one that um, skiers are now using to prevent mountain sickness. It's called Diamox, and uh, it was originally used to uh, lower eyeball pressure okay. to prevent glaucoma. Right, okay. And how it works is that it increases your carbon dioxide in your tissues and that helps to regulate the salt and uh, it it's used in many conditions including epilepsy and and glaucoma as well as high blood pressure. Excellent. Okay. So we have a caller on the line, Dr. Pete, so you're on the air? Hello. I just wondered um, how olive oil is. I mean, if, if in a quantity like as much as a tablespoon a day, it's fine, but it does have 10% of the uh, polyunsaturated fats. So 10%? Yeah. Is it good for, is it okay when it's cooked? Uh, yeah, those, those fats are toxic. Even if you eat cold pressed uh, unsaturated fats, they warm up in your body and then uh, the blood pumps catalysts and oxygen through the warm fat, so it doesn't matter uh, how fresh they are when you eat them. They're going to get rancid anyway once they're in your body. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye. Okay, thank Thanks you. for your call. Did you want to carry on? Okay, so carrying on with the high blood pressure and the diuretics, this sodium chloride, can you explain, Dr. Pete, how salt can actually be a diuretic when we've been so ingrained yeah. in thoughts of... Yeah. In, in these studies, um, Tom Brewer and his wife uh, wrote some books, uh, Nutrition uh, for, for uh, uh, Pregnant Women, uh, two or three books on the subject, um, and uh, he, he gives the research background, but how it works is that um, estrogen suppresses your ability to make albumin and it makes your blood vessels leaky and it causes you to lose sodium easily. And so the blood volume decreases and the kidneys don't get enough oxygen or sugar because of the shrinking, the loss of sodium and albumin. 
and the albumin getting into your tissues causes toxic effects as it leaks out of the bloodstream. And the kidneys put out hormones that drive your heart to beat harder and tighten up your uh, blood vessels to even try to increase the circulation to the kidneys and in the case of pregnancy to the uterus to feed the developing baby. And just by the, the albumin doesn't work to retain water when there's not an associated uh, cloud of sodium atoms bound to the albumin in the bloodstream. And so just by eating sodium, the albumin, which is still in your bloodstream, now has an ability to uh, osmotically attract water, and eating salt will pull water back into your bloodstream, increase the blood volume. And then you can excrete it through your kidneys. Yeah, and then it, it perfuses the kidneys, energizes them, and they stop driving the blood vessels to tighten up, and uh, so it it lets the excess sodium out. Okay. Okay, well, that's a very interesting description. We do have one uh, time for one more caller, but we have to remind callers that we need to make it quick because it's four minutes till the end of the show. Yes, I have a question about how your thyroid uh, relates to uh, Lyme disease. Well, uh, the whole immune system is is the issue there. Um, A very healthy immune system can throw off chronic infections like that. Like Lyme's disease? uh, Yeah. Uh, It's best to uh, do it quickly with an antibiotic, but uh, you always want to back up the antibiotic with uh, an optimized immune system, and the thyroid and uh, calcium and vitamin D are really basic things to make your immune system uh, not cause inflammation, but to be able to eliminate pathogens. All right. Thank you, Dr. Interesting program. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Well, as I said, it's uh, three minutes to now, so we'd better uh, give an outro or a, a thank you to Dr. Pete. Thank you very much, Dr. Pete, for joining us on the show. And for those listeners who would like to read more about the information Dr. Pete has to share, if you can log or not log on, sorry, if you can go visit his website at www.raypeat.com, and that's R-A-Y-P-E-A-T. Um, he has numerous articles there that are free of charge to read newsletters that he has written. And I can usually send a few um, references to for issues that I don't have on the website uh, if people email me. If you have um, questions about specific conditions and you'd like to email Dr. Pete, you can do that. Alternatively, you can consult with Andrew and I, and we can email Dr. Pete on your behalf. Um, If you have any further questions, you can call us on 888-WBM-HERB, and that's 926-4372. And thank you very much for listening to the show, and thank you very much, Dr. Pete, for joining us this evening. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Bye. Okay, well, for all of those of you who listened, uh, we thank you for tuning in. Uh, for those of you who have ears, let them hear. And uh, we'll be joining you again next year in 2009. So for all of you, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. Good night.